Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Warhorse Journal, where we get to chat with authors, artists, and authentic equestrians from across the country and around the world. Today on the Warhorse Journal, I have the absolute pleasure of talking with the author of over 20 books and my all-time favorite equestrian, America's most trusted horseman, Mr. John Lyons. I first saw John teach and train at the Midwest Horse Fair in Madison, Wisconsin, and it transformed my relationship with my horses. My admiration for John extends beyond the remarkable relationship that John had built with his Appaloosa stallion, Bright Zip. It extends above and beyond that to seeing another relationship that John carries in his heart and that is part of him. And that is his relationship with God and how he has woven that relationship into everything he does. I invite you to listen in today as John shares the ways that we can see God reflected back to us through the eyes of our horses. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. John Lyons. Hi, John. It's Chris Hike from the Warhorse Journal. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, John. I'm going to start out with that question that I always ask, which is, how did you get into horses? Everybody thinks, you know, you grew up grew up with horses, and it was just, you were kind of pushed in that direction, and it was just opposite of that. You know, I grew up in, in sports, and being a normal kid, I did have a early horse horse career and that's when I was in grade school about sixth or seventh grade and I started ditching school and stealing horses out of a pasture (laughs) and riding them so my first experience was as a horse thief but (laughs) but uh, I didn't get hung but it didn't take too long about two or three days for my parents to figure out what was going on and Mm -hmm. so that kind of ended my horse career early horse career. So yeah, I was just, I didn't, knew nothing about them. There were these horses in a pasture and I'd go out and grab them and find, you know, I don't know how I got a halter or what, but climbed on them bareback and rolled them up to the probably three miles away, three or four miles away to the stables they had in Phoenix at the time and rode around those stables with those other people. The interest in horses was obviously there at a young age. Yes, I guess it was. You know, because grew up in the West, wanted to be mm-hmm. a cowboy. So that's how that all started, you know. You're such a great communicator, and that came probably before you started your career as a clinician. So did that carry over from your previous career, or how did you become so adept at speaking to crowds and just communicating with people? I don't know for sure. I was a coach. I worked with kids and then, you know, throughout college. And then after that, I there was a period in there that I became a salesman. And then I, I ended up working with doctors and orthopedics and stuff. And so, you know, majored in education when I was in college. And so, you know, maybe all of that helped along the way as far as the teaching and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a great deal of it happened when I started doing clinics in 1980 and so from 1980 to 1987 I just did clinics and so I think I probably developed a lot of that communication skills you know then and that level and then I remember in 1988 I started the symposium format and I was in Santa Barbara 
was the very first symposium that we gave. And there was, I don't know, 150 people there. So that would be like the very first time that I spoke to a large group like that. There weren't expos going on at that time. There was an expo, uh, I think the Madison Wisconsin mm-hmm. show was going on. Maybe a little bit of the Minnesota, you know, farm days or kind of horse expo days. That was going on. But other than that, there weren't really any expos in the country at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the expos really started popping up around 95, somewhere in there. And so I went from doing anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 horses in a clinic and having five days to work, you know, fix their problems and solve that their problems to that owner's satisfaction to one horse and a schedule written out, one horse in front of a, you know, 100, 150 people. And so I remember before I walked out there uh, to start the horse, because, again, we had a scheduler. At noon, the unbroke horse was done. And I'd already ridden it. I'd already ridden it outside the round pen in the arena. I had already done that. Well, that was already scheduled. So that was in print, and that was when we were done. And the first horse at Santa Barbara at that first symposium, a Mustang, you know, not halter broke nothing mustangs and i thought this thought came into my mind as i'm looking at these people in the stands and stuff and i before i walk out there and i'm thinking what if i can't do the horse i mean i had 10 to 15 horses to do so if i didn't if i had problems with one horse well and i had five days to make that up and make sure everybody knew that i could do all the horses well, that wasn't the case for the symposium. The symposium, you know, I started at 9 o'clock, and at noon we broke for lunch, and I had to explain what I was doing, get the unbroke course started, ride the unbroke course, and then there was a barbecue schedule that at noon to 1 o'clock, and then I came back in with another horse, uh, another problem horse or whatever. And so I got really nervous that morning, you know, before it all started, before nine o'clock. And I'm, I'm kind of off to the side of the stands and kind of out of sight. And I'm thinking, you know, what if I can't do this? And the thought that came into my mind was that, John, there's nothing that this horse can show you that you haven't already seen in the last seven years at all of these clinics. There's just nothing that they that he can do that is going to surprise you. So don't worry about it. And then I just prayed that you know people wouldn't see me, but would see God through me and see Him. And and then that took care of it. It went out, did the horse, everything went fine. And and then over the years, I actually slowed that down to where I would take all day on Saturday with the unbroke course so that, you know, the people in the audience could learn it better. I was going too fast, you know, with the unbroke course. And so to get people to understand better what I was doing, see the process better, then I slowed it down. But uh, every Saturday afternoon, I rode the unbroke course. I rode it out of the round pen. I rode it outside. I rode it through ditches and whatever the environment 
allowed me to do. So that's kind of how that all started. One thing that really stood out in your training was you always drew those parallels, your relationship with God and our relationship with our horses. Well, I've learned over the years, you know, and I don't say this lightly, but I've learned over the years that and believe that the horse is God's most favorite animal on earth, that he created that horse and that he created that horse with many qualities that he really, really loved. Uh, he mentions the horse second most in the Bible. He mentions sheep 714 times. Uh, he mentions horses 350-something times. Uh, the next animal that he mentions in line would be, I think, cows and bulls, mm -hmm. about 86, and then dogs. It goes on down, different animals, dogs 41, cats zero. <laughs> so he like maybe he doesn't like independent thinking, you know. <laughs> so he made the horse a herd animal, you know. He made the horse a, a social animal, but he's got a border, so he made pecking order, so there's a very strong social order within within herds, and we all know that. He said that he gave horses uh, their your, their beauty, their grace, and their strength, and he filled them with boundless courage. And the, the more that I've had the opportunity to know that, learn that, and watch horses, like, it's amazing their courage, because it is truly boundless courage. When we compare our courage to the horse's courage, we are just snow white. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you start walking toward a bird and it flies away. It made a life and death decision. It doesn't know whether you're going to kill it uh, or not. So it flies away and it takes care of that, makes that decision. It's not going to wait around to see if you're going to kill it. Uh, a horse, when we ask a horse, to step on a tarp the first time, or cross the creek the first time, or step up on something, you know, going on that trail ride and going by that horse-eating rock. Uh, those are life and death decisions. The horse doesn't know if he steps on that tarp or if he steps in that creek the first time, if he's going to die or not. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he, he doesn't understand getting small cuts or getting small hurts. Uh, he doesn't understand veterinarians. So he's making a life and death decision. And what's amazing is just to sit up there on him and watch him do that, knowing that he is making a life and death decision. And then recognizing he's not doing it because he wants to do it. He's turning over the reins of his life to somebody else and doing what they would like him to do, even though it's a life and death decision to him. And then watching a young horse maybe make that decision four or five times during one trail ride. You know, we see that when God talks about that he filled them with boundless courage, that he really did do that. And uh, and then to understand, like, Texas A&M, I think in the, in the mid-'80s, 
somewhere along there did a uh, some type of a uh, a test uh, on horses to find out what is it is their ability to learn and what is their retention rate how long do they re- retain something that they learn uh, and they came up that a horse has a ninety percent retention rate well that's an that's a straight A student, you know, and then that they'll retain that lesson for over 18 months. So when they learn something, they'll learn 90% of it. I mean, they're a straight A student and they'll retain it. So I personally actually have been able to see that uh, and prove that results that Texas A&M came up with. So here, we have this unbroke or this horse, head shy horse, that is extremely head shy, and it was caused by people. And so we come along, and we've got a couple hours to work with this horse, and to get it over being head shy. Well, as I said, we do two things: one, we don't hit the horse in the head anymore, and then the second that we convince the horse that we're not going to hit him in the head anymore, then he won't be head shy anymore. Well, does that mean that he forgot about 20 years of abuse? Of course not. What it means is he looked at us. Now, a horse is not a dog. Dogs have owners. Dogs have masters. You know, there's an old cowboy saying that says, when you think you're, you're pretty cool and you're pretty full of yourself, call somebody else's dog. That dog will show tell you exactly how unimportant you really are. Well, horses have proven to me, you know, that uh, they don't have a master. They don't have an owner. Uh, I could put my horses, you know, at the far end of the arena, call them and have them run right to me. Some of the horses I had trained 10, 15 years to do that. And so they were solid at it. Well, if I put you maybe 10 feet off to the side, you know, so they, they weren't directly in line, with, they were directly in line with me, but you were off to the side a little bit, my horses would go to you. Hmm. And what they would tell, tell me by that, it wasn't that they were coming to me because they loved me or because they were like my dog, you know, uh, that I was the master. They're going to go to the first closest human being. So horses see us as representing all mankind. And that's why one of the reasons I would never work a horse unless the owner was sitting there watching. Because I wanted that owner to see and learn what that horse had to go through to not be head shot. What that horse had to go through to learn what they wanted it to learn. So a horse doesn't have a master or an owner. He sees us as all mankind. So now we've worked with this unbroke horse. We have convinced it that we're not going to hit him in the head anymore, that we represent all mankind to that horse. And that horse looked at us and he says, I see you have changed. And because you have changed, I will not hold the past against you. Well, that's identical to God's forgiveness to us. It isn't that 
you know, he just blankedly forgives us. We have to ask for his forgiveness. And asking for his forgiveness, we admit that we're not perfect. You know, and as hard as that doesn't seem like it would be for us, but it is very difficult for us as people to admit that we are not perfect, that we're not God, that we're not trying to take his job. And so we first come to him and we say that I am sorry, I'm not perfect, I made these mistakes, and I will try to change. His forgiveness is based on that, that we admit that we've made mistakes and that we will change. We will try to change. And he gives us the help to change, but at the same time, we have to try to make that change. Well, that's exactly, identically, the same forgiveness that the horse gives us. And so he put forgiveness in the horse. He knew we were going to make mistakes. He knew that, but he loved this animal. So what he did is he put a huge dose of adaptability in the horse. So the horse is one of the most adaptable animals, you know, in the, in the world. If you go, we go to these expos and we see this horse come in and he's got all these problems. He's 10 years old, he's 15 years old, he's whatever age. And then we see this trainer, you know, take this horse and during that session at the expo makes these amazing changes in this horse. And we think, oh my gosh, that trainer is so good. That's amazing what that trainer did. But really, if the horse was not changeable, if God hadn't put a huge dose of adaptability, changeability, you know, in that horse to begin with, then we couldn't change the horse at all. So the credit doesn't belong to the trainer out in the arena. It really belongs to the horse. So here, God put adaptability. You know, they're not working with just an animal. They're, we're caretakers of God's most favorite animal on earth. And so, you know, at some point in time, we're going to have to stand in front of it and justify I mean, what we did to his horse. And he'll forgive us. You know, he'll forgive me for when I made mistakes when I didn't know better. And then I have people say, well, John, how can you mix your, your faith, your Christian faith, out in that middle of that arena with all those people, hundreds of people watching, you know, how can you mix your faith and that horse all at the same time? You know, maybe people don't want to hear about it. And my answer to that was, how can I change? You know, how can I be a Christian on Sunday morning and not on Monday? How can I be a Christian, you know, and, and have that part of my life, but not use those same values when I'm dealing with the horse? How can I change from one person to the next? You know, it's kind of like I'd, I would do demonstrations with this. So if you take a glass of water and you take a glass of Kool-Aid, 
All right, let's say red Kool-Aid. And if you take that Kool-Aid, you know, we represent, we, we as, as before we understand about Christ, before we understand about our Father in heaven, we're like that clear glass of water. But if we take that Kool-Aid water and we dump it in that glass, you know, how do we take, take it out again? How do we take that color out of it again? You know, once it's in our life, then it permeates our whole life. It permeates, permeates all of it. it can't, we can't change it and take it out on Monday or take it out when we're dealing with this person or take it out when we're dealing with the horse. So the idea is to let Christ come into our life and be part of us no matter who we're in front of or where we are, you know, or what we're doing, that it's part of us. Am I the perfect example of that? For sure I'm not. You know, I'm for sure not, you know, an example of a good Christian. You know, and, but, you know, at the same time, we we hear trainers say all these flowery words about the horse, but then their actions don't match what they say about their about the horse. Oh, he's wonderful, he says he's that, and then we beat on him. Or we know they act one way in front of the audience and then back behind the barn, they're completely different, you know. Uh, and I have found that if people are rude to people, they're they're rude to horses, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you can't be rude to a person without being rude to a dog or rude to a horse. Uh, It just doesn't work. You know, you can't be egotistical, you know, to another person and not be egotistical with a dog or a horse or another animal. Mm -hmm. That's a long answer for a very short question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, because this actually the topic of faith has has just worked its way in already to this new podcast. And I've had to make that decision. Am I going to shy away from that or not? And I'm not. And part of it is this strange dichotomy in our world today where it's like people are afraid to say that they have faith or to say they are a Christian and that we're supposed to accept everything else. This is not where I expected this podcast to go, but it's here. So um, I I guess maybe, it, maybe it's here to encourage people to, to not put their faith in the closet. For sure. And it's, it has never changed. You know, when I mm-hmm. first started advertising the symposiums in 1987, for the 88 symposiums, I was actually told I couldn't put a verse on the bottom of the ads. Wow. I couldn't put the fish symbol. And in fact, in Santa Barbara, the very first one, they had a pamphlet that they were handing out at the, the fair, you know, in the big horse show prior to me being there. And I wanted to buy the, the back page ad to it. It was like 500 bucks. And they said, okay, so I bought it. And then I sent them the ad that had the, the Bible verse on it. They 
uh, uh, sent it back and said, we can't do that. We ran this by the board and we cannot put a, a Bible verse on it. You know, you have to take that off. And I said, no, I can't. I cannot take that off. And either we can run the ad or we, you can't. And however you do it is fine. But the fact is, is that that verse has to stay on. Well, and they decided they must have had another board meeting and decided they wanted the 500 bucks. So I did that. And then I had ads in Western Horsemen and Horse and Rider and those. And I, uh, not anywhere in those magazines were there any verses, any, uh, no fish, no nothing. And, uh, in any of those magazines prior to me starting to advertise them in 1987. And so, but then now you can't pick up a Western Horseman or a Horse and Rider magazine or Equus or any of those magazines and not see people, companies, trainers, you know, advertising that and having verses in there. Hmm. So, you know, the church services, you know, at the expos, you know, uh, when I started the equine affair, had to have a church service, you know, well, Mm -hmm. they balked and they balked. And then finally equine affair agreed to it. And so we started out doing the church services. And so, uh, we weren't for sure, you know, the first church services at horse events, but, you know, in, in our world and the, in the training world and the horse world and that they had like Cowboys for Christ, you know, was at all of the rodeos and Ted Presley and those, uh, and those early, uh, cowboy, uh, preachers were, were all over the rodeos and stuff, but horse events, they were not. And so, you know, it's always hard getting it started. You're always scared you know, to let your faith out. But again, God takes care of that. Mm -hmm. He, He says to us in a verse, I will surround you. I will always be with you. I will never leave you. And then he goes further than that. And he says, I will surround you with, uh, with people. I have never, ever been in any kind of a group of people, even a group of seven, six, seven, ten people that if I stand up and I say, you know, who here has accepted Christ in their life? There's always two or three or four people there. He promises us that he will surround us, you know, with other Christians and with other people. He will always be there, plus he will surround us with other people. So yes, it's scary. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it was scary for me to walk out in front of four or 500 people, you know, at a church service and give a church service. That is scary for me. But at the same time, you know, and I never study what I'm going to say. I never pre-plan it. I just walk out there and for an hour, you know, uh, I am there doing a church service to lead people to Christ. 
And, uh, yes, you know, uh, it makes me nervous. But when I start, then I'm just me. And, uh, and it's, it's important, you know, it's important to let people know where you come from, what your thoughts are, you know, who is your faith in? Is it in yourself? Are you doing everything on your own? Are you, are you doing everything through Christ? You know, do you have a father that you believe in that part of you and that nobody can change that? I think one of the scariest parts about sharing my faith really is just because I know how imperfect I am like me because I know my flaws you know yes I do know and you know when we've committed little sins or great sins you know we deal with that you know we deal with I'm not good enough you know I am not perfect but then again you know and that's very important and it's and what we are doing is we are re-crucifying ourselves every every day, every time we think about those things, every time we think we're not good enough. But then again, you know, and that's, imp- that's very important to learn not to do that. But also, who of God's men or women were good? are perfect. Not David. And he said, David is a a man after my own heart. David made some major mistakes. He killed, he killed, uh, one of his own men. He stole his wife. He, you know, there's so many different things that David did, but David repented, you know, Abraham, you know, Noah, it doesn't make any difference. No person, you know, in the Bible that God used was close to being perfect. Now, if we're not perfect, then we understand how other people feel. They don't feel perfect either, you know, and uh, and they're not perfect. And that's how we relate to somebody. You've seen ministers on TV or people that you admire and say, I could never be a, a Billy Graham. You know, I could never be this person. I mean, this, I look at this person and this person is perfect. You know, they do the church socials. They sit at the front pew. They are perfect and they are not, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are not perfect. And none of us, None of us are perfect. None of us have lived a a sin-free life, nor have we even lived a good life. Mm -hmm. And some of the greatest sinners have become the greatest evangelists and the greatest soul, soul winners for Christ. So, you know, God says to us, he says, you come and you ask me for that forgiveness of that sin. And he says, I take that sin and I throw it into a bottomless lake. But what we do, we get a dang fishing pole yeah, we and do. go dig it and dig it up, you mm-hmm. know, 
And we go over it, and we go over it, and we go over it again. And then he says, I separate us, I separate you from that sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, he could have chose north and south, but the problem is you can go north far enough and start going south. East and west never meet. So he said, and again, you have to remember, this was written 3,000 years ago. Not when they knew the world was round. You know, mm-hmm. he, he said he separates it from the east to the west, which never touch. He never brings it back again. And then he goes further on and he says, I remember that sin no more. You know, he has a terrible memory. Mm-hmm. And in my, in my case, in my life, I am so thankful mm-hmm. that he has a terrible memory, you know. And then we understand the greater sin we have created, then we start to understand why Christ went to the cross. Because his punishment has to be equal to our sin. So if we murdered somebody, he went far enough. If murder, if dying, being put to death is the penalty for murder, then he went far enough to cover that sin. You know, what would make us say, you know, to God that the sin that we created, that we did, that we deserved, what Christ got on that cross, to be stripped naked, to be beat, you know, to to, uh, to have thorns put on our head, to be beat to, in our ribs. Uh, all of the things that happened to Christ on that cross, what sin have you created that, that you say, I deserve to be put to death that way? Well, there's nothing in your life that that you have done that deserved that penalty. But if you had killed somebody, even if you had killed somebody, no matter what you have done, Christ went way further than that to pay the penalty for your your sins. So now, if we keep bringing that sin up over and over again, what we're doing is we're re-crucifying Christ on that cross. When Christ, when you go to heaven and God is on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand and, and God reads about the sins you have done in your life and Jesus gets up and he walks around and he stands in front of you and he holds his hands out and he says, Father, did I not pay for that sin? Did I not go far enough to pay for Christina's sin? Did I not do it? You think God's going to look at Jesus's face and look in his eyes and say, no, I don't think you, you could have had one more lash. You could have had him the spear 
pushed into your side a little bit more. Do you think he's going to say that to Jesus? Or is he just going to take that page and rip it out of your life? Mm -hmm. He made the horse with a great memory. But he also taught the horse to let go of the past. He said, live in today. You know, that's why you can sell your horse and your horse can be fine with somebody else. It's because the horses are great examples of how to take people today, how to forget the past, how to get over the past and live in today without worrying about the future. So, so he put all of that inside that horse when he made it. He says, I'm going to help you forget the past. I'm going to let all of that go and let you deal with only today. You know, today is a brand new day. And today you get a, you get a do-over. You get a new start. You get a brand new start. I brought up a brand new sunrise. So, you know, today is a clean slate. And I'm going to help you by making a sunset and the end of the bad day so you can put your head on the pillow and let go of today and start a new day tomorrow. So it's so important for us to learn to forgive ourselves and so hard to do it. We can only apologize to the people we've hurt so many times. And then at that point, the last time we apologize is the last time we apologize and we let it go. Either they let it go and we don't ever talk about it. We never discuss it. We never go over it. We let go of it. Let go of the past. Today is today. And that's why they call it the present. It is a present. It is a gift. It is a present, a gift from God, you know, that he gives us this day. He doesn't promise us tomorrow, but he lets us let go of the past. So am I worthy? Am I good enough to talk, you know, and share my faith with other people? No, I am not. But what's important to God is that I tell people about what he has done in my life, not what I have done, Mm -hmm. but what he has done in my life. You know, I wonder people carrying around guilt or or just feeling like they are disqualified. um, I wonder how many great things don't happen because of it, you know, because a lot of us feel like, well, I messed up. I'm not qualified to, to do this or serve in this way. I remember when I started Endurance Horse Podcast, I thought, well, I haven't, I haven't accomplished anything great, so how could I possibly, you know, speak with authority on this? But I really wasn't. I was just showcasing people, and that's what I still do. I still haven't accomplished anything great. But what I have accepted is that I'm serving people. I've accepted that I'm not perfect. I, I think God calls the unqualified and qualifies them, and I think that's kind of what my process has been so if somebody's listening to this today I hope they think that that they could give themselves enough grace to go ahead and do this thing that they want to do you know that they haven't messed up beyond repair yet that they can certainly still serve 
or do something with their life because I think people have a huge problem with not forgiving themselves. We do. We do have a huge problem. All of us have a huge problem in forgiving ourselves. But it's not us forgiving ourselves. Mm -hmm. It is Christ forgiving us. It is his grace, his love that he says to us, I forgive you. I forgive you. And then, so it's not me forgiving me. It's not me, you know, saying, okay, well, I made a mistake. That's it. You know, I can't do anything about it. It's not me doing that. It's Christ doing that. It is a gift. It, that's why they call it the gift of grace. All right? Now, if I gave you the very, very best gift that I could give you, whether I don't know what that would be. I don't know if it would be a new truck. I don't know if it would be a million dollars. I don't know if it would be the lottery. I don't know if it would be a new home. I don't know if it would be the, the, but the greatest gift. But I gave you the greatest gift you could ever have. Do you not, would you not share that with somebody else? Would you not mm -hmm. tell somebody else, you know what John did for me? Holy mackerel. You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but he gave me this brand new house and millions of dollars. And wouldn't you share that with mm -hmm. somebody else? He would. Mm -hmm. So if Christ has forgiven me and given me a new life, given me a chance to start over, given me a, a chance at the thing that I want very most in my life, well, what is the thing I want very most in my life? Is it a new truck? No, not really. Is it a new house? No. Well, do I want just dollars, you know, so that I could have more? No, those are not the things that deep down that we all want the most. What we all want the most is peace. Mm -hmm. It is. Peace, to live in peace, you know, with our mates, with our husbands or our wives to live in peace with our kids, to live in peace with our parents, to live in peace in our life that doesn't depend on circumstances, on other things that are going on in our life. That is the gift that God gives us. It's not just the forgiveness of our sins. It's just not his love, but it's his peace, the very thing we want most in life. He says, I offer you peace without exceptions. You know, no matter where you are, happiness is understanding how that's what God offers us in peace in our life today. Um, we haven't talked about the horse specifically too much. I might have to ask you back for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the horse, the horse wants the same thing that we want. And what we want most is peace. But we, we grab on, and we want control. So we want to have peace, but we want it on our terms. I'm 13 years old. I'm all grown up. 
I can make my own decisions. I know what, you know, I'm doing with these friends I'm running around with. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I grow up, I'm going to have a better car and a better house than mom and dad. When I grow up, I'm going to be able to stay out, you know, as late as I want. And, and that was the very reason Adam and Eve ate the apple. It's because they were promised they could be just like dad. They could be just like God. They could make their own decisions, do what they wanted to do, etc. Well, that hasn't changed. But the horse, so we want peace, but we want to hold on to it. You know, we want to control it. We want to do our thing. And that's always been the problem with the world. It's always been the problem with us, each of us individually. But the horse, again, is God's most favorite animal on earth. So he put in the horse a great desire for peace. So the horse is willing to trade his freedom. He's willing to go on our stupid trail rides to do our spins in a in a uh, in circles in a raining pattern where you know things that are just ridiculous walk across crazy stupid stuff <laughs> risking his life mm-hmm. you know he's he's willing to go over jumps which he's not designed to do he's willing to do all of these things trade his freedom in his life and do what people would like him to do just so he can have that peace in that pasture, have that peace in that stall. Do you ever see a horse sitting there jigging out in a pasture? You know, you know, you see them run for a little bit, but then they quit. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see them throwing their heads. You don't see them just throwing a fit and kicking and being upset. You know, you, you, the horse that you see in the pasture is the horse that wants to be ridden. That's the horse that wants to be ridden. He's calm. He's not throwing his head. He's not throwing a fit. He's not scared. He's, you know, he's fine. So I need to look at that horse and say, wow, that's the horse that wants to be ridden. When I get on him, then all of a sudden he jigs, he's this, he's that. He throws all these spits because that's what I'm teaching. You know, that's what I create in his life. But he's the horse that wants to be ridden is the horse that's in the pasture. When we realize that the horse wants peace above everything else, it changes how our hands work around the horse. I can look at the horse. Whenever some you see somebody kind of fighting with the horse, having problems getting the horse to do what they want it to do on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's throwing its head, all those things, ask yourself, look at the horse through a different set of eyes and ask yourself, is this horse at peace? And the answer will come back, no. So then, then it changes I, how I look at the horse. If he's throwing his head and his head is six, seven foot up in the air, you know, I don't have to correct him for that. I don't have to say, no, don't do that. I can just show him with my hands 
that, you know, he can be at peace somewhere else. So I don't have to scold him for what he's doing. He's already miserable in his life. He's already beating himself up. He's already scared. He's already fighting. All of these things that are happening in his life. And all I have to do is show him that the instant that he starts to bring his head down, his whole world changes and he can be at peace. I don't have to scold him for kicking. I can just show him that he doesn't have to kick. He doesn't want to kick. He doesn't want to fight. He just wants to be at peace. So that is a huge training tool. That is a massive training tool that I can use hundreds of different places on the horse, you know, or in the horse's training. You know, knowing that the horse wants peace above everything else in his life. Now, he's smarter than we are. And the way that he's smarter is he will trade everything in his life, even turn over his life to somebody else just to find that peace in his day. So God put that desire in the horse. And because he has that desire, then we find ways to get along with him, or he finds ways, really, to get along with us. I think I'm in trouble with my three-year-old then, John, because all he does is pick on the other horse 25% of the day. So whenever I start him, I think he's going to (laughs) be... I don't... He seems to to want uh, just rear up and chase the other horse and uh, try to bite him and run away. And I haven't really started him yet, but I'm thinking, I don't know if he wants peace or play. He's, well, he's, he's odd that way. They, they, well, he certainly, it would be natural for him to want to play. It would be mm-hmm. natural. What he's doing, he's kind of testing the water. You know, uh, he's testing where he is in the pecking order. So you want to let him do that. And so even the horse that's lower on the pecking order, when the, the horse that's higher on the pecking order chases him, he still gets kicked at, you know, and different times he's going to get hit. And so that teaches them that, hey, listen, if you do this, you're going to get kicked. Even if I'm running away, you're going to get kicked. You know, it's not going to be so much fun. But so he's, he's learning how to fit in. He's learning how to mix with other horses. He's learning pecking order. He's learning that social environment. Uh, And he's going, and there's going to be times, other horses in that pasture that tell him, no, you're going to go do this. You're going to this corner of the field. Mm -hmm. You're going over here, you know, and that helps you when you start to train him that, He's actually used to taking orders from somebody else. That's okay, and you don't have to put, you don't have to project how he's going to be because we mm-hmm. don't know. All the time, I had people, you know, when I would start the unbroke course on Saturday morning, I'd walk around the outside of the round pen and talk to the audience and stuff, and and there'd be people say, "Ooh, this is going to be a hard one." Or ooh, this will be uh, this will be a piece of cake for John to do. This will be an easy unreal course for John to do. This is too easy, 
And I always wanted to know how they knew that hmm. because I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. You know, with all the experience that I had with unbroke horses, I couldn't tell anything about that unbroke horse until I walked in the pen and started with it. And so then, you know, when I start with a, an unbroke horse, I can't tell anything about a horse until I start with them. Do you think he's he's a pretty smart boy? He almost seems like, do you think horses kind of study their homework in a way? Like you, you worked with them on something and then I swear two of my horses in particular, they're eager to show me like the next day, like, hey, I got this. Like I was thinking about this or am I just um, making that up? Or do you think that's true? No, no, 100% true. You know, I just did a private in Utah and uh, one horse, retained the lessons from the day before, learned it quickly, retained the lessons from the day before, and did and just progressed in the training. The other horse was a pain in the rump from the very beginning. Very, very hard to get to do simple things. Uh, very, very slow with it. Had to repeat it again the next day and the next day, and just not fun. So there are horses, and it took me a long time learn that personally you know because you know i had horses that i had to work with you know seeming seemingly every day and they would regress and stuff and then i had horses that were that i could work with once every six months and they they seemed like they remembered everything from six months ago well you know just like these people in in salt lake you know, I said, you have to fit the horse or the horse has to fit into your life. You know, they had small kids and the horse had to be safe enough to be around with the small kids. Critically important. Mm-hmm. The horse had to be, had to fit into their time frame. If they only had, you know, a couple hours a week to work with these horses, then the horse had to fit into that time frame and if and if the horse doesn't fit into your time frame it'll fit into somebody else's time frame Mm. it doesn't mean you're you're a bad person because you have this horse for a while and you see that it doesn't fit you know into what you want you know i have a dump truck but i don't take the dump truck on a vacation you know (laughs) And, and and so you know it's good for certain things but I'm not going to use it as a a vacation vehicle. So there are horses that fit all kinds of different categories. And as we work with them, we need to be able to say, and God allows it because he made the horse adaptable, you know, and he didn't make the horse lock on to one person and say, I love you like a dog. You know, dogs can go through major depressions when they lose an owner. Yeah. A horse, I think a horse can go through different stages of depression, but not like a dog. So that allows mm-hmm. us to sell this horse and let somebody else who's this horse fits into their life perfect. They love that horse. And mm-hmm. it's even better to give that, that, uh, give that person that horse. Now, I don't mean give it dollar-wise, because I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. But but I think, you know, find the person 
who fits that horse, you know, and let them love that horse. And they'll end up having a great relationship with that horse. Mm-hmm. So, but most definitely, and it's not just differences in breeds, it's differences within breeds. There's a great, a greater dis- difference within breeds as far as ability to learn, retain, go forward, and that kind of stuff. Then there are differences between breeds. The thing of it is, in understanding that, it has has to be their choice. There's something there when, and I don't, you know, I've got to get better about just stepping out of my office and going out to the barn because it's literally right there. But we have a couple horses that I swear, just looking in their eye, I don't know what it does. It just resets my spirit and it brings me this peace that, I don't know, I feel like they truly see you. I, I agree with you 1,000%. Sometimes, you know, Jody says the greatest peace in her day was when she was cleaning the barn. She doesn't ride horses at all. It's just cleaning the barn, being with them, and hearing the sounds, you know, that that brings peace in your day. My, The peace in my day comes from hugging them. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love, love to hug them. And so, uh, you know, and play with them and do things. And then, you know, as an excuse to tell them they're doing great, giving them a hug. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. So I could be in a... You know, when I was doing so many clinics and so many symposiums that I could go out in the middle of a round pen and there could be 500 people around, standing around that round pen or sitting around that round pen, and I could disappear inside the horse. You know, Mm -hmm. I just wasn't even there. I could go out there and hug that horse and be with that horse, and there wouldn't be anybody around me. It was just like they all disappeared. So, so horses bring us that those moments of uh, peace in our day, and this, you know, and it's a a multitude of things, you know, smells and feelings and all of that. So, agree with you a hundred percent. You know, you could go through, like you said, a symposium or walk through the horse fair, and you could be surrounded by a thousand people. And you can feel like nobody truly saw you, you know, but when I stand in front of that horse, I feel like that horse sees my spirit maybe, but something, there's something there that happens for sure. Most definitely. I agree. I promised myself I wouldn't talk to you too long because then you'll never answer the phone from Chris again. So I'm going to let you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. No, no problem. Just... Give me a call anytime.